0: Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Let's read these verses and follow along together. Beginning at verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Our subject for this morning is found in verse number six, and it's the phrase, the servants of Christ, the servants of Christ. Regardless of whether or not we are in our practical society, our normal society, whether we are the employer or the employee, we ultimately are all workers for the kingdom of God. Paul's message, remember, in beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 through the remainder of the book primarily deals with the practical exhortations of how a believer is to live in this world. He, re- he recognizes here really what is can only be described as the third part of what was normally part of a family unit we've looked at the husbands and wives and we looked at the parents and children last week and really we have to keep in context that in many many homes there were masters and servants now that is not common in our society but it was common in paul's day the idea of a servant is very far removed uh, from our modern day thinking but it was not far from Paul's thinking there was no doubt that inside of that congregation there at Ephesus between Jews and Gentiles within that congregation there were masters and servants just like we studied there husbands and wives there there were parents and children and there's no reason to believe any different that there also would have been masters and servants that were in that congregation Now, this has great significance, not just to the master and servants, which Paul writes about, but it has great significance to the authority of God. Remember, one of the great lessons we've learned throughout our study of Ephesians goes back to God's authority. It's often impossible to understand what Paul is teaching in the book of Ephesians if we lose sight of the authority of God. This is not to be taken as something that we can say, well, uh, this doesn't apply to us today uh, because we're not masters and we're not servants. That would be almost like saying, well, because I'm not a husband or because I'm not a wife or I'm not a parent, I'm not a child, that the previous two messages had nothing to do with you. This has something to do with all of us. We see that there are respective roles. There are the role of master and there is the role of servants. As kind of an overview of a summary before we get into the exposition of the text, we see that servants are taught here to serve their masters honestly. But we also see that they are not only just to serve, but they are to be hard-working servants. But on the same token, masters are also to treat their servants kindly, to treat their servants with respect, remembering primarily That these servants are first and foremost the servants of Christ. That's very important to keep that thought in mind. It is truly, folks, the reality of the perspective of heaven. When we think about how we view this life, we have to view it through the perspective of the heavenly vision how it is viewed from heaven, not just the heaven in general, but from the very authority of God which resides in heaven. When we think about all of these roles, husbands and wives and parents and children, we've been talking about the role of each. This is no different. There no doubt are those who are masters and there are those who are servants. The heavenly perspective is that the gospel brings into the reality of how we're to live. The gospel is not just about how do I get saved. The gospel is about the transforming power it has on my life, not just in sanctification like we learned this morning in Bible study, but the reality that it ought to change my life even in my human relationships. How I as an employee view my boss or how I as a boss view the employee. And in this regard, how masters were to view their servants. Paul is very careful to identify the reality that masters were never to abuse their servants and servants were to work hard unto their masters as, they, as if they were doing the work under the Lord himself. The gospel gives us this heavenly perspective. The gospel is what reminds us that truly, that this life is temporary and it's fleeting and it's passing quickly. It is true that the older you get, the time seems to move more quickly. And it is moving quickly. It is moving rapidly. Us life personally, your lives personally, life just seems to accelerate. Everything we have in front of us is transitory. Everything we look at today and we think about, this is not all there is. We are, we are truly not born and equipped to live this life eternally you realize God did not create us to live this life eternally one day he's going to call through his son the Christ is going to come and take his people with him and the reality here is is Paul is not speaking about all these things that are going to be forever But we do understand that Paul often used the terminology that we are simply pilgrims in this world and we're looking forward to a real, a true place in heaven with Christ. So what the point here is that these servants and these masters were to see life through the gospel perspective. See life through the authority of God. And that masters and servants alike are to be subject to Christ. Just like husbands and wives were to submit themselves unto Christ together. Just like children were to submit themselves to their parents' authority. Not just because their parents were their authority, but their, their authority was given to them by God. The same concept is here today. This is an, uh, an understanding of the relationship. Now, the world, folks, is not going to understand a master and servant relationship from the gospel perspective. Okay? When you hear those words, master and servants, in our contemporary modern society, it means something entirely different. This is what's leading people to say, the Bible really is so outdated and so archaic, we need to throw the whole thing away because it speaks of relationships that should not be there. Understand something here that the Bible should never be done away with. God's word is authoritative. It is from everlasting to everlasting. God's word did not get it wrong. Mankind gets it wrong. Mankind misunderstands authority. It misunderstands the role. A sinful man who is an unbeliever does not want to subject himself to the authority of God. This is really a radical understanding. It's a radical thought to think in 2021, you can actually still use the word master and servants, and you are not offending someone. Okay, that's important. So in Christ, folks, this is important. We are no longer defined by what we are socially. Your definition of your humanity is not based upon your social position in this life. It's not based upon your title. Your status is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Your status is based upon who you are in Christ. Not who the, word, who the world defines you to be. We've talked about this. That's why marriage is attempting to be redefined. That's why male and female, the line is attempted to be blurred. Blurred. Mankind in its unregeneracy does not like the title because it doesn't like the authority of God. There is absolutely nothing wrong with he and she. That is the only two. There's nothing wrong with husband and wife. There's nothing wrong with children and parents. And in the context of what Paul's talking about, masters and servants is not offensive. So what is Paul saying by expounding these verses? Based upon these perspectives, notice he says servants, first and foremost, be obedient. Be obedient to them that are your masters, and this is key, according to the flesh. So Paul moves now to this third part of a family. And it is the responsibility both of the masters and the servants that they are to treat one another. But the servants were to treat their masters with love and reverence. Okay, that's what Paul means by this. Be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, and here's the key, as unto Christ. Why should I be obedient to these masters? Because you should view this through the gospel heavenly perspective that I am doing this unto Christ. I'm obeying because I'm obeying Christ. That's what the verse means. There is not a hundred different interpretations of this. There may be a lot of applications, but there's one interpretation. That's what Paul's talking about. You do this as if you're serving Christ. Now notice he uses the phrase, according to the flesh. What Paul is, is, he's not dulling the sharpness of this, but what he is in fact doing is that He's reminding them that although you're spiritually free in Christ, okay, this would have been very important to a servant sitting in there. You are free spiritually. Your freedom spiritually doesn't take away your physical service responsibilities. It's It's amazing to me how many Christians say, I don't have to do my job at work because the physical service they're requiring of me goes against my religion or goes against what I... Most of the time, that has nothing to do with it. You just don't like the master. Paul is taking away the reality, saying just because you're free in Christ doesn't mean you're free to be disobedient to your masters at whatever level that is. Those who would not do that Who would not be obedient to their masters, Paul makes the connection here that those those are in order to to do this, you have to be in Christ. A person who is a servant to a master cannot serve as unto the Lord if that servant is not in Christ. So what is Paul saying? He says, you serve according to the flesh. They're not your spiritual master. I hope that's clear. That's what Paul means. They're not your spiritual master. Folks, this is a a bigger deal in people's workplaces and in their lives than what we, we tend to believe. There are a lot of Christians who have tried to get out of their physical service to their employer Because they say, he's not my boss. Only God is my boss. Only Jesus Christ is my master. Folks, that is not scriptural. Scripturally speaking, I should look at that master and I should say, listen, I'm being obedient to you first and foremost because it's the authority of God. And when I'm obedient to you, it's as if I'm doing it unto Christ. That's a very important distinction. Now I can tell you from a practical real life example, you will, no matter what age you are today, you will have a master or an employer or a boss who is bad. Who will not do everything right. I'm, I'm, guarantee, I'm guarantee, guaranteeing every young person in this room, the first time you start getting jobs, you are going to have a bad boss. That is not going to give you the, the ability to say that's a bad boss so I don't have to listen, I don't have to obey because I only serve my master Jesus. That is not scriptural. It's amazing how many Christians I hear, they, I don't have to listen to my boss at work because I'm, my only boss is God. That's, that's anti what Paul is saying here. But what does he say instead? In singleness of your heart, Now, those same folks don't like this wording because that singleness of heart means with careful reverence. Not done out of just simple fear. In other words, you can get obedience from the servant towards the master. But Paul says you're not doing this out of fear that the master is going to reciprocate against you. No, you're doing it as if you're doing it under Christ and you're doing it with reverence that same bad boss you'll have, that will really be put to the test when you're not just supposed to serve them because they have the ability to yank your job away. You're to serve them because, and you're to reverence them. It's kind of like we talked about on Wednesday evenings. Love your enemies. Do you know how impossible that is apart from Christ? It's impossible to love your enemies. Same conditions here. It's impossible to be the servant you're supposed to be if you don't have Christ and his perspective. So Paul moves on, and you'll notice it says, not as unto Christ, it's a continuing thought. It's a change in verse, but the thought continues. Not with eye service. Not with eye service. Uh, What is eye service? It's doing something that just appears to be right, primarily when the master is watching. Now, in the true context, Paul was driving home the reality, hey, servants, don't just do... Right when the master is watching you as men-pleasers. A man-pleaser is one that just does it for the sake of getting the approval at the appointed moment. This is intensely practical. These servants were not always under the watchful eye of their master. Servants sometimes were away on their own and the masters didn't see them. Paul's point is this. Don't just do the service when the master is watching you, but rather do it at all times. How do we know that? Because he says, but as the servants of Christ are subject. You know what the servant of Christ actually does? He's not concerned about eye service. He's not concerned about being a man pleaser. He's concerned about being obedient to God. Folks, I've said this a hundred times. The best employees in this world should be Christians you should be the easiest people to work with you should be the easiest people to get along with again but you don't know my boss I'm telling you I had a lot of bad bosses and my attitude wasn't always right my attitude was sometimes downright awful and I still, I can't use the excuse, well, I did bad work because the boss was bad. No, if I had the, the perspective of the servant of Christ, it doesn't matter who my boss is. I'm going to do the best I can because I'm not ultimately serving them. I'm serving the Lord and I should do everything with excellence regardless of what my job is. It's an amazing thing. People also, because of social status, people determine certain levels of jobs don't require my all listen I don't care what you do for a living you should do it for the honor of Christ there is no low level job okay it doesn't exist from from our young people when they get their first jobs that job is just as important as any high level job as far as what goes of you being a servant of Christ I've heard people say well my job doesn't matter it matters to God folks And our testimony and who we are, these servants and masters, and by the way, this relationship was not always a good one, just like with our employer-employee relationships. But notice again, he says, not only is it to be the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know, everybody wants to know the will of God spiritually. They all want to know, what's God want me to do to do great things for God, to attempt great things for God? Do you know that the will of God could sometimes be placing you in a bad situation that's not so good. We forget about God's will. God's will places masters and servants. If you just believe that this world is a random chance and you just believe that your life is just kind of spinning on an axis and it just kind of spins and ends up somewhere, you don't understand the sovereignty of God. God is directing your paths. He's putting you in places And I'm telling you from from real experience, my most hated jobs were the ones I learned the most spiritually at. Those were the things that taught me all the wrongs and all the rights. But you realize that when, when Paul is talking to servants there would have been some animosity. Quite frankly, their master could have been sitting in the same room with them as Paul, as these letters were being read, or they were reading the letters together. There could have been master sitting there right with their servant. But Paul identifies here that it's not to be done with eye service. You're not doing this just to please them, but you're doing it because you are a servant of Christ and you're doing the will of God from the heart. A servant of Christ understands that where God has them is part of God's will. Now, we're not talking about God's... We're not going to separate here God's secretive will and God's and the personal will and your freedoms and choices. We're not going to confuse that. But the, re, the application here is Paul does this really to head off at the past any sort of pretense is what somebody could come back and say. Well, wait a minute. Okay. I, as a servant, I'll do what my master says. Do you understand what I mean? Paul kind of, the inspiration of the Spirit, cuts this off, and he says, wait a minute. He said, before you say it, here's what this means. Serving just when the master is watching is not what I'm talking about. Being a man pleaser is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I want you to do this as a servant of Christ. And I want you to understand that when you are a servant of Christ, when you're in the proper relationship as a servant, you are doing the will of God. Folks, some of the most frustrating conversations I've ever had with people is about this very thing about the will of God. And they ask me, I wanna know God's will for my life. And they don't understand that God's will is not one big giant event in your life. God's will is a series of events. And where God places you often is what the first step in God's showing his will to you. That's Romans 12 about our reasonable service. We, we are simply to understand that God has given us his will, even, even in the relationship of a master and a servant. So Paul teaches us that it is God's will that some are born or they are made servants. Study your history, folks, and you will find out even in the biblical times, there were people that were born servants. Their family, their father, their mother was already a servant of a particular person's house. They were born into that family. They were born a servant. Who's behind where we're placed? God puts us in the families and in the places that we are. So these servants, God's will, even when service is hard, must be kept in mind. Look what he says in verse 7. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. This is kind of a repetition of what he's already said. With good will. To have good will is a direct reference to, To having a well disposed mind, a mind that is set in the proper direction. Okay? So, what's the mind, what is is the direction that Paul's been teaching? That doing good is having the right perspective that you are a servant of Christ. And because you're a servant of Christ, that's what's leading you to live this way. A well disposed mind. You are being moved not with first and foremost a reverence for your master. You're being first and foremost moved by your reverence for God. Now you know what gets in the way? The pride of you believing you should be the master and they should be the servant. It happens to all of us. All of us know more than whatever our, whoever our master is. I don't care how good that boss is, you're better. Right? We just are. That's who we are. We look at it and we say, I should, be the, I should have been born the master. Do you think there were masters and servants in Paul's day when this letter was written who were thinking that? The servants were saying, I shouldn't have to obey. Do you know how bad that master is? But what oftentimes you never see is you never see the master say, you know what, I really should be the servant. But the servant always wants to be the master. It's kind of way spiritually. We don't want to make God the Lord of our life. We want to do our own thing, and then we want to pull God along when we need His help. Part of God's will it may be putting you into hard service. It may be putting you into a place that you don't want to be, and yet that's what Paul is talking about here. Again, proper doctrine—the whole book of Ephesians—proper doctrine leads to proper living. Paul didn't start with chapter 6. He started with, by grace are you saved, through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. The order of the Bible is not random. It's laid out, even this book of Ephesians is laid out that we got the doctrinal foundation and now this is practical. So verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing that Any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. In God's economy, he is not looking at a greater reward for the master or the bond the bondman, the servant, or the free man. In other words, if you're free physically, you don't have a master, you are no better than the person who's a servant. In other words, it shouldn't be viewed that if you're a servant, that you are somehow lesser spiritually. Again, we've got to put our mind around the reality of who Paul was talking about. And whatever good thing you do, even though there were unkind and, quite frankly, cruel masters, the obedience of the servant of Christ was still required. Paul's point here is that obedience is required to the Lord whether you're a servant or not. Whether you're a free man or you're a servant, your obedience is the same. In other words, I can't look at it and say, well, because I'm free, I don't have to submit to this. No, Paul says it doesn't matter. Now, oftentimes, as we emotionally get attached to these verses and we put ourselves in the narrative, humanly, we ask the question, why do the servants have that many verses And the master only has one verse, and it's verse 9. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. (laughs) It's a summary statement. Everything I just said about the servants, masters, you do the same thing. You treat people kindly, you lead, you direct as if you're doing it unto the Lord. It's the duty of the masters to use the authority that they have been given by God to use it modestly and to use it in a holy manner. Now, Paul says something really, really strong here when he says, forbearing threatening. Forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any, neither is there respective persons with him. This this idea of this forbearing, threatening. Even though these things come, even though there are threats, understanding that you know who your real master is. The word master is capitalized there as a reference to God. Masters are to remember that as you authoritatively dictate to you servants and how you treat your servants, remember this, your master's in heaven. The last phrase, neither is there respect of persons with him, is a reference to final judgment. In other words, what happens at the final judgment is there will be no respect of persons with God. God is not going to treat judge the master with one set of criteria and judge the servant with another set of criteria. There is no respect of persons with God at the final judgment. Again, go back to how we began this. The only way I can view this properly is to view it through the proper perspective of what the gospel does. It's the duty of those masters to treat these individuals correctly. So let's sum this up, these, these four these verses. So what is the duty of servants? Simply, it's one word, obedience. These servants were typically, again, I know this word, and it it has lots of connotations that we we should be appalled by. I get it. But a lot of these servants, they would fall into the category of actually slaves. The apostles were even carrying on this doctrine to teach servants and masters their duties, their responsibilities, in order that the evils of these relationships would be lessened. The influence of Christianity, folks, was supposed to do away with this ill treatment. Please consider that. What's happening in the name of God that is so sad, and, and I, I don't know how far you guys, and I'm not going to get a lot in this today, but I hope you have your eyes and your ears open to what is attempting to be happening to the gospel. And if you're not if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to look this up. And you need to look up these terms about what the gospel how it's being framed. That instead of the gospel being what's supposed to do away with the ill treatment, they're trying to water down the gospel so that treatment becomes better. The only hope for a society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to see relationships restored and you want to see ill treatment stopped, and I'm talking about Christians towards other people even, the gospel is where the answer is. It's not in social reform. The gospel was intended and is intended to transform people. Sanctification is meant to make us more like God. You shouldn't have to tell a Christian master, treat your people properly. Of all people who should know, how do I treat my employees? A Christian master, a boss, should not have to be reminded. Treat them as if you are doing this unto the Lord. On the same token, servants were to have reverence over those who were in authority over them. They're not to pretend obedience when they're actually really disobeying. They are to serve faithfully. They're to serve their masters, not just when the master's eyes upon them, but be strict in how they do their job or their responsibilities, whether the boss is there or not. The only way we do that is with a regard to Jesus Christ. Our eye has to be on Christ. Every, everything that we do. When you go to work Monday or Tuesday or whatever you go... Go with your eye to Christ, folks, and say, listen, before I walk in these doors, I want to understand that I am serving wherever I'm serving as unto the Lord. And I realize some churches today have gotten so on the doctrinal side of things, and and our church doctrine is so important, but we can't leave out these practical things. I mean, this, this is, should be really smacking us in the heart and saying, you know, wait a minute. I love the fact that when we come to church, we hear deep doctrine. We hear a lot about the grace of God. We hear about justification and regeneration and conversion and election and predestination. Those are, I'm fast, I love having theological discussions, but how are you actually living your life? Nobody wants to hear, oh, maybe I'm not the best employee. Nobody wants to hear, maybe I'm not the best employer. But Paul was concerned about the reality of masters and servants. Practical. Don't just be doing it when they're watching. As a master is to obey, a master is also to understand that they are fellow servants with respect to Christ. If masters and servants actually considered each one of their responsibilities and duties to God, things would become what they're supposed to be. We should be mindful of the role that God puts us in. The world wants you to think that identifying yourself as male or female is wrong. It's it's infiltrating the churches, folks. It's infiltrating pulpits. It's happening right underneath. It's happening right underneath our noses. And we're just sitting there. We're just saying, well, you know, if if, if that's what it takes, if we got to reform society to get a platform for the gospel, do you realize how wrong thinking that is? There is nothing wrong with what Paul is talking about. There's nothing wrong with the gospel itself. So these servants were to be obedient. If you work for someone or you're the boss of someone, do what you're told to do. Do what you're paid to do. Don't be the complainer. Don't be the person that's always causing the quarrels on the site. Serve with a singleness of heart. I hope you'll remember that, singleness of your heart. It really is a powerful thought. Serve with singleness. But singleness of heart included, it includes cheerfully, it includes being ready, full effort. Young people, please listen to me. Learn to work hard. Seriously, learn to work hard. You are, you are not placed here, especially as a believer, to just get by and just slack. Be a hard worker. Truly. Be, be the hardest working employee they've ever seen. And who cares what other employees say about you? Be the, be the hardest worker that place has ever seen and realize, listen, it's, things aren't fair. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But I'm not serving you ultimately. I'm serving Christ first. I wish I would have had that perspective as a young man. I grew up in the church and that never crossed my mind. Everybody was the enemy. This boss doesn't like me so they treat me this way. This person is out to get me. This person is this. This is the kind of thinking that we have. And yet what Paul was saying is you're ultimately served with the singleness of heart that you're not serving them ultimately. You're serving Christ. It's... Us parents and grandparents understand there are things, This is one of the reason again, why I love family integrated because our young people are here. We, we say, I wish there were things I could already put out in front of my kids so that they'll know what to do when it happens. I want them to see it before they're confronted with it. Why? Because I want them to do the right thing when it happens. But do you realize that doing the right thing then means you start looking at things right now? If I don't have a job now, I'm looking at I'm thinking about what kind of an employee am I going to be? Listen, if somebody gives you an opportunity, this is a practical kind of stepping away. If somebody gives you an opportunity to work and they're going to pay you for it. You should give it everything you got. Don't quarrel about how much. If you agree to work, work for what you agreed to, right? Work. And sometimes you're going to be grossly underpaid for the amount of work you do. Welcome to life. It's one of those practical things. There are no doubt in that group of people, there were workers who just simply pretended to work. Slaves, who servants who pretended to do what they were supposed to do. Work diligently even when the master is absent as much as it, when he's there. Work with goodwill, work with a great attitude, work with thankfulness. If you're able to work, your health allows you to work. And by the way, we don't thank God enough for our health. You realize you're one diagnosis away from your life completely changing. Life's gonna teach you that young people, life's gonna teach you that life doesn't always go along smooth and bad things do happen And if your eyes are not on Christ, if your eyes are not on Christ solely, you're going to fall apart. Christ is the only source of where our mind and our singleness of heart has to be. So that when these difficulties come, whether it's health or whether or not it's our our finances or whether or not it's our jobs, this master and servant principle is so much bigger than just employee employer. It, It encompasses our entire life. It's been said that whatever a man does out of a right motive and a principle of his heart for the glory of Christ, he'll be blessed of God. Understand that the blessing of God doesn't always mean life's going to go well. Listen, there are people that are listen, there are people that are digging wells in faraway countries who are, would look you in the face, and, and people look at them and say, well, "That doesn't look like a blessed life." They're working in the mud all day. You know why they work in the mud? You know why they do that? Because they know they're doing it for the glory of Christ. And it really, it really changes our perspective when we think about how does God view this? If you're doing it with the right motive and the right principle for God's glory, for the glory of Christ, you're going to be a blessed individual. I don't mean prosperity gospel junk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you're going to get ten thousand dollars deposited in your account you might be a poor person all of your life but if you're doing it for the glory of christ perform what god has where god has placed you i don't know how we i don't know how we get to the place where we get this what mankind and what society says is important what do they say is important riches power and position Again, young people, that's what what this world is all about. It will tell you to forsake family for riches. It'll tell you to forsake church, forsake God for power and position and prestige. If you ever want to have these things, you can't be a Christ follower. And the reality is, is those things mean absolutely nothing to God. God couldn't care less that you're the CEO of a company. But what he would be concerned about is, is are you bringing glory to Christ through that position? But the CEO of a company is bringing no more glory to Christ than that well digger I told you in some far away mission field. God is not looking and saying, wow, that person was really good and this person, they just dug ditches. Just like a good master is hard to find, let's put this right where it is. Good servants are hard to find. It's an amazing thing that servants are, all, are never the problem. The master is always the problem. And masters seem to always say, the problem's not with my mastering, the problem's with the servant. You know how hard it is to find good Christian people you can actually count on? It shouldn't be that way. I should be able to count on a Christian person understanding the principles that we're talking about today. So let's conclude with this thought. So what does the gospel? The gospel really gives us a perspective of how we live our lives, even in these common everyday relationships. Paul was not speaking something random. Just as he spoke to husbands, just as he spoke to wives and parents and children, he was speaking to masters and servants. This idea of that we are equal in Christ. You can't even say that in some churches in America right now. You can't say it. Because they'll say, no, we're not equal in Christ because of our social status is different. You realize Christ doesn't see it. God doesn't see social status. He's not a respecter of persons. Are there injustices in the world that need to be dealt with? Yes. Yes. Is the answer to those injustices removing the gospel or changing the gospel? No. You know, there are things people often will wonder, why doesn't our church take a stand on this? Why doesn't our church put a statement on this? You realize there are some things that don't require a statement because the gospel already has an answer. The problem is not what our standing is. We're standing in the same place I intend to stand until God calls me home. We're standing unapologetically on the gospel. We're saying this is what the Bible says, and we're going to live to the best of our ability to live by that standard that God sets in the power of God. There is no perfect servant, just like there's no perfect child. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect wife. There's no perfect parent. All of these factors go together to bring us to what will be the final section It's hard to believe, but the final section of the book of Ephesians, it will appear that the section on the whole armor of God returns back to a doctrinal position. But I would submit to you, and I want you to, if you you want to read ahead, read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through the end of the chapter. This is more about practical than it actually is about doctrinal. The armor of God has been presented in many, many different ways, but I want you to read it and think about it from the perspective. Remember, Paul's been talking about contextually human relationships, and he uses the word finally. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's not a disjointed thought from what Paul just talked about. So my prayer, and I hope our prayer for one another, is that the grace of God would teach us to do all that we do unto whoever the Lord places us under and do it all for the glory of Christ. Because we do it for the glory of Christ because we are to be the servants of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, it would be easy for us to dismiss these things as not important, not what we needed, or maybe it wasn't for us. But the principles of masters and servants is not just in this temporary passing world, but it is in even our relationship to God in our relationship to Christ. Father, may we have a servant spirit about us, not a spirit that just simply does out of obligation, but we do and we serve and we be who we are. We view life through the perspective of the gospel because of what Christ has done for us. Truly give us that singleness of heart. Help us to do good unto others. Lord, I do pray specifically, and you've put it on my heart today so emphatically, I pray that our young people, that they would see an example of what a Christ-like servant looks like even in the church that they come to. Lord, that they would already set their mind to have a well-disposed mind towards the things of Christ and realize when those bad situations arise that their eyes are so focused on Christ that they keep serving with the same passion that they've always served with. Father, we don't know what you have planned for us in your perfect will. You may see fit to put us into a level of servant. Lord, we don't know what is gonna happen with this nation. We, We have no idea of what tomorrow holds. We may find ourselves truly servants to masters who are cruel, unkind, unruly. And how will we respond to that all depends on how we view the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray now in just a moment that you would dismiss us with your blessing and that we would leave here rejoicing because we've heard the Word of God expounded and preached and proclaimed. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's stand together, if you would. I'll read our ending verse as a closing benediction. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just the first five verses. I hope this will encourage you as you go. Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting of Christ. Again, thank you for being here today. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Lord bless you.